welcome to the Borealis Experience. I'm your host, Aurora, and I'm very happy and excited to have Robin Ryan Walker with me today. We will be talking about a very sensitive topic, a topic of adoption and how being adopted is, um, yeah, very, very tough for some people, easier for others. But um, the search for identity is what unites pretty much every um, person on this planet who has been adopted. And yeah, I'm very happy that Robin is here with me. He will be walking in the coolies in Lethbridge and I have a beautiful view of mother nature there. Awesome. And yeah, he will be talking about his experiences and, and what he has to share with us about this beautiful topic. Thank you so much for making the time and for taking us on a walk with you today, Robin. Absolutely. And thank you for inviting me, Aurora. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And as I mentioned earlier, this would be my first podcast that I'd be speaking on. So uh, uh, maybe not as polished as I could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going for polished here. We're going for raw and honest. So I'm I'm very happy that you're here and I know you will be shining brightly. Um, I would love to share with, with our listeners here a little bit about your background. And as you might uh, know or can imagine, the more you go into detail, uh, the better it is for people to being able to relate to you and feel less lonely with their experience. Absolutely. Uh, okay, well, um, I go by Robin. Uh, I, was, I was born uh, and named Robin at my birth, actually. Um, you know, I didn't really find anything out about that part of my story um, in detail until just a couple of years ago. Uh, most of my life, you know, I knew I was born in Foothills Hospital in Calgary, 1979. Um, I knew that I was adopted. I knew that my parents were still children, really. They were 15 and 16 when I was born. Um, so they both would have been 15 when I was conceived. And, you know, the world was different then. Um, my mom didn't have a lot of support. And back then, um, having children that young and out of wedlock, you know, was frowned upon. So the decision to put me up for adoption, like, made a lot of sense. Um, it, you know, my adoptive parents told me when I was young that I was adopted and what they knew of the circumstances around that. And it all made sense to me. And I didn't consciously feel slighted or unwanted or anything. You know, I had a pretty normal upbringing for the time. Um, I've lived in Lethbridge since kindergarten age, um, maybe the year before that. Uh, so, you know, my experience that way was, was pretty normal. And, uh, it never even really occurred to me like to look for my 
uh, birth parents until I found out I was going to be a father. Um, you know, and that didn't happen until I was 30. So and at that point, uh, I, I applied, um, you know, one of the provincial buildings here in the city, uh, filled out some paperwork. And, you know, a while later, I got a, an envelope in the mail with uh, some mostly redacted documents <laughs> that didn't really tell me much more than I already knew at that time. And uh, sometime after that, um, I think it was maybe a few years after that, uh, the laws in Alberta changed to the, to, for, for adopted persons and, and um, parents of adopted children where they could apply for information and there would be more information available to them uh, without the consent of the other party. So um, at that time, you know, I reapplied and, and I, I got some more documents um less redaction <laughs> so uh i i can't remember exactly but i th i think i found out my mom's name at that point and uh actually i did and you know this was around 20 around 2012 i think 13 um and so i i looked in the calgary phone book um so i found out my last name or her last name is pronto and uh, although I didn't know how to pronounce it at that time because I had just read it. And I looked in the Calgary phone book and there was like three pages worth of prontos. So I wasn't about to start calling them. And, you know, that just seemed like a lot of effort for me for what possibly could have been nothing. And uh, I believe I looked on Facebook and I didn't find anything. And, you know, maybe just did a Google search or whatever. And, and that was that and kind of left it alone. Um, and shortly, right around that time, I, I had my second child, and then uh, a year and a half after that, my, my third and last child. And again, it was, you know, it was nice to know the information I had, and I didn't really think too much of it. And then um, early 2019, uh, I was recently separated, and I got laid off, and, and uh, I decided to take the month of February off, and I considered you know what's something i put off for a while and so so one of the things associated with um my birth i guess is is that i was my, my mother is metis and when i was younger i had metis status and i i um used that to to gain some to access some funding for college uh that would have been back in about 2004 2005 and then sometime after that, uh, I'm not sure if it was the provincial government or if it was the Métis Nation or who, but uh, they um, updated the requirements to obtain Métis status in Alberta. And, and part of the requirements now uh, included uh, geno genealogical information, which uh, given my situation, I didn't have. And so for a while there, I'd, I'd lost that status. And so... Uh, in February, I decided, well, that's maybe something I'll look into, like see if I can find things out there. So I went down to the local um, Métis office in Lethbridge, you know, told the lady my situation, and she instructed me to come back the next day, that there'd be a woman there that we could go through some genealogical records and see what we could find. Uh, and so the next morning, I was, as I was sitting having breakfast, and I had my stack of or my two folders anyway. And uh, I was leafing through my documents and 
we came across the document with my mother's name on it and uh, had my phone there. So I opened up Facebook, you know, typed her name in and this time she was there. And, uh, you know, I creeped her profile a little bit just to confirm um, before I reached out to her. And then as I was looking at her profile, I saw there was a woman listed as one of her sisters. And so I decided to reach out to her instead. And uh, I can't remember exactly what I told her. I still have the message on my phone though, if I wanted to go back to it. And her initial response to me wasn't like, uh, you know, what are you talking about or whatever. So I, I knew that I was on the right track there. And so she got in touch with my mom who um, was at work and then she got back to me and, and, you know, my mom and I started texting through Facebook messenger from there. And uh, later on that week, we talked on the phone and then made arrangements to, to meet in person. So I, I found out that she was living in Leduc and uh, I had two younger sisters and through one of them, two nephews and a whole bunch of cousins, um, you know, five aunts, two uncles, uh, one who passed a couple of years prior. And um, yeah, so in mid-February, I took my oldest son up to Edmonton, to West Edmonton Mall, and we did the water park and a little bit of shopping. And then, uh, then we went and met my mom and one of my sisters and my nephews for dinner that night. Uh, my youngest sister was living in Red Deer at the time and she couldn't make it up, but we were able to connect with her on our way back to Lethbridge uh, at the end of the weekend. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, meeting her, uh, meeting my sisters, it was just, it just felt really normal. Like it felt like home, right? Like I just, I connected with them pretty easily. We, we, um, you know, had things in common, uh, perspectives, you know, my one sister talking about like raising children and we had a, a lot of um, same ideas. And, and I brought up a bunch of childhood photos and stuff with me. So we were all going through pictures and my mom had, you know, pulled out a bunch of pictures. So, you know, a lot of the um, genetic resemblance was apparent, right? Between like my children or me when I was young and, and uh, my sisters and nephews and aunts and uncles and all that. So that was, it was a really positive experience for me. And, um, and then it opened up a lot for me that I'd been carrying all that time that I didn't realize consciously, right? Cause there's a lot of stuff that, that gets in there unconsciously, especially like I was adopted right from birth. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I found out a lot of these, a lot of these details, obviously after meeting my mom. And so she, she was living in BC uh, when I was conceived. And then when she found out she was pregnant, she moved to Calgary um, and she was attended a school for unwed mothers, which, you know, again, speaks to the time that we were in back then. And, you know, she was in the hospital for some time after I was born um, because she was so young and she wasn't permitted to hold me or anything, right? Like she, she'd come, she'd come to the nursery and look at me but uh other than she told me there was one time that the nurses couldn't get me to stop crying and she was there and and they let her hold me for a little while and I stopped crying <laughs> right of course but you know for for an infant you know to consider nine months in mom's belly you know I can hear her heart I can hear her voice 
I can hear the people that she's with. And then, you know, the first day I come out into this world and all that, like, she's just gone, right? Like, there's no, I mean, again, I don't know all the specifics, but for me to, to think of my own children and, uh, and what I know from, from raising them and, and, well, so, so far, successfully, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I can't imagine what it must have been like for infant me to just, she's not there, right? And sure, you know, my my basic needs were tended to by nurses, but it's, it's not the same at all, <laughs> right? Um, so there was definitely stuff that I was carrying in my body, you know, trauma from that experience that I wasn't aware of. And even now I'm still processing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for for sharing this with us and especially the last part of what you said. That's so, like I can imagine when you hear that story and I would say like physical touch is basic need that, that you haven't received this um, in the first couple of weeks after you were born. Um, made you feel very like vulnerable, but at the same time also maybe helped you to make sense of of how you feel and and perceive life. Um, I don't know now after you realized, okay, you were deprived of physical touch and closeness with your mom. Can you like see what it did to you, like? when it comes to physical touch, are you extremely needy now or or is physical touch something that is very difficult for you to receive? Like on that level of uh, connecting with people, do you notice that it, it did some damage to you? Uh, I mean, now I'm in, I'm in a pretty good space. You know, I've done, I've done a lot of work, you know, as we call it. And uh, I wouldn't say it's impacting me much in the present, but if I look at my my younger years, especially like my young adult years, uh, you know, I was, I related very superficially to people, to women in particular. And I I wouldn't say physical touch was like difficult or a problem, or I I don't know that I was necessarily needy, but definitely like a lot of very short, superficial primarily sexual relationships um, Mm -hmm. as a young adult Mm -hmm. yeah and it can be connected to that it doesn't have to be but it certainly can and um, how was it for you during your teenage years and your 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 20s Um, did you have a longing like a search for identity more than others because I know that a lot of people who are born in a family with their dad and their mom, they go through the same thing. They don't know who they are. They feel like they're very different to their siblings and parents and they have to find themselves. Was it like more intense for you than for others knowing that you were adopted or was it not really a thing consciously? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I can only speak to my experience, which makes it somewhat difficult to 
compare and contrast with what others' experiences might have been. Um, from what I can imagine, I know for me, like, <laughs> I remember one time meeting one of my dad's, I, I can't remember if it was a friend or an acquaintance or a business associate or what, but, uh, you know, my adopted dad. And he said something like, you know, I mentioned that I was his son and he's like, oh yeah, I can see the resemblance. And, you know, in, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know what you're seeing, but it's not fucking there, man. Yeah. Like, there's no resemblance. There's nothing, right? And and that's just it, right? So with all my family, like there was, we didn't have a lot in common, right? Our interests are like the things I was curious about. They didn't have those same, like my, I had two older sisters that were both also adopted. And um, I knew that, you know, it was easy to understand that, yeah, we don't have these things in common because we aren't related in that way. Right mm -hmm. now, it doesn't mean like, you know, it, it's not like we never did things together. We did, you know, we played board games and, you know, had movie night and whatever, just like anybody else. But when it came to the things that I was really curious about and I really liked spending my time with, like I was inside of my family, I was mostly alone in that. And, and I was okay with it too. Like I, I kept my own counsel. I, I was pretty okay with like a being by myself. Now, that's not to say that I spent all my time by myself. Like I, I had friends growing up and I, I certainly spent a lot of time, you know, at the park and over at friends places and all that sort of stuff. But again, a lot of those relationships were, were fairly superficial, right? I never really got into the stuff that really mattered to me with anybody. You know, mm -hmm. I never really like expressed things that upset me or, you know, if I got bullied at school, I didn't bring that home. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, maybe it's, I just didn't want to bother my parents with it. Maybe it's, you know, who knows um, for sure. But I, I, I can imagine that that had an impact inside of all of that, right? Like just being left alone so early, um, it just kind of carried through. And it was just normal for me to just think it out by myself, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to feel like, yeah, you have to struggle through life when it gets difficult uh, by yourself and you can't rely on other people or maybe other people are not really trustworthy. Um, yeah, it's, it's when I read your post like a couple months ago, um, I felt so touched because yeah, you just picture that little baby that's crying for intimacy and for physical touch or For whatever the mom could provide and it is cut off of that source of love and holy shit like it's it really gave me goosebumps and um i felt yeah it was so powerful of you to share this with the world with the facebook world and and um that you made yourself so vulnerable so i have so much respect for you and um I feel that it can help a lot of people out there to, to know that when you realize something like that, when you hear news like this um, and you share this with the world, then people can connect with you on a deeper level. They can understand you and, and um, be closer to you. Um, after you posted this post, did you have like lots of feedback from people? Yeah, I mean, there was, 
there was public feedback on the post and and some people did reach out to me and and some like you know after the fact just in conversation uh, would mention what they got out of it or you know i'm discovering more and more people that i know that were adopted that i i didn't know right and it's not necessarily something you go around asking people particularly as adults right yeah so. yeah if you were to speak to someone who still hasn't found their parents and they feel that longing for yeah to know who they are that search for identity did you come up with tools over the years like before you met your your family your biological family that helped you out that made you feel um safe and understood i know last time we talked and walked around we talked about astrology um is there is there other sources that you like did you go to counseling or any like anything you can think of books or whatever you could recommend to somebody who is still feeling like something is missing in their life because they're not connected to their biological family um i mean if i if i look back on my life you know i kind of fumbled through it all really and uh <laughs> i see the first like major work that are, well i guess one turning point for me would have been right around young adulthood right somewhere like 17 18 um you know as a teenager i read i read a lot of fantasy i read some like david eddings robert jordan uh terry was it brooks you know like dragons and sorcery and and you know fantasy type novels and a bit of sci-fi as well and uh and then when i was around 17 18 i i can't remember the exact circumstances around it but i came across this book um I think it might have been when chapters opened the Lethbridge. I'm not sure. Anyways, it was called uh, Seven Life Lessons of Chaos. And I think I'd, at around the same time, I'd kind of come across chaos theory and like the idea of fractals and the Mandelbrot set. And I was fascinated by it. And so I, I read the book, uh, didn't memorize the seven life lessons, so I can't wrap them off for you. Uh, one of them was about like butterfly power and you know the idea that if a butterfly flaps its wings, on one side of the world does it cause a tornado on the other side of the world and and so just the idea of like all these independent you know kind of feedback loops that can build into something greater even though they're not specifically organized to do that um, and also the different ways that we kind of reinforce like the status quo um, through all of our little you know individual and yet collective actions of you know um, putting the open sign in the window and and you know going to work and all of that so so that was interesting and and from that book forward i i kind of stopped with fiction uh, i i found reading about the real world to be far more interesting because it was it mattered <laughs> it seemed like to me whereas stories were fun but meh um i had a good long while where i didn't even really watch much tv to be honest but um other than like documentaries and stuff so i did a lot of just like learning about the world learning about how my mind works learning about how my body works learning about how society works and psychology and um different cultures and uh you know i was raised roman catholic so you know religion was something that i was curious about and you know so i would 
being raised Roman Catholic, I was presented with that. And then in the making sense of it, you know, I wanted to look at, well, what do other people believe, right? What do other religions teach? And, and then looking at like the commonalities, to me, that's where we could find truth, right? Like if there's, if all of these different religions that, that were developed in all these different areas of the world all speak about certain things in common, like that's what matters. All the rest of it's just, you know, bullshit that this or that leader put in there to control or whatever, in my opinion. Um, and I've since come to apply that same sort of idea to the kind of other things I've been studying. But uh, so I guess, you know, just to, I kind of went off on a tangent as far as your question goes, but I think for any individual in their search for, um, you know, who they are, I guess, you know, part of that might involve an external, like, find out what you're interested in, right? Find out what you're passionate about, find out what really kind of pulls you forward. Um, and then from there, maybe you can reflect and, and take it in, right? And, and look inside. So, so that would have been the first thing that kind of got me going, but really through my twenties, I was a heavy drinker and, uh, you know, partied a lot and, um, didn't really do much for my future during that time other than to experience things. And uh, my my oldest son, Stephen, so his mom, my relationship with her was really quick all around. Um, I was 28 when we met. Um, I didn't know she was 18. I thought she was like, early twenties. She didn't realize I was so old either. So it wasn't until after we like started dating that we both found out we were 10 years apart. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long after that, that Stephen was conceived and, and then he was born and then we got married and we made it just over a year and, and we separated and divorced and, and that was all not a great experience. Um, but through it, I, I definitely like for me it was like okay well why did this happen right what did I do wrong what why did I behave the way I did you know if that's not wasn't my intention or what I was committed to and um I had the luck or you know if you want to call it that of, of meeting a, a gentleman that uh introduced me to ultimately the work of Werner Erhard uh landmark worldwide and so over the course of that, the following year, I did a, a bunch of personal development programs offered through Landmark and um, developed a greater, I don't want to say understanding, but that's all that's coming to me this time, but, you know, understanding of kind of how we perceive and see and interact with the world through like uh, filters that have been put in place over time um, based on stories that we tell ourselves because of the experiences we've had, <clears throat> you know, so for like one story that I might've had since infancy would have been something like that. I don't matter or that I'm alone or, um, you know, something of the abandonment sort of flavor. Mm -hmm. wow. And so, yeah. So doing that work, you know, enabled me to, to be able to examine my, well, first of all, to be aware of my filters and then to be able to examine them and, eliminate them really right because once once you're aware it's easier for stuff like that to to be disappeared um whereas a lot of people aren't aware that they're operating with these filters in place and so therefore they they 
think and act like they're perceiving reality directly and that they're dealing with reality as it is objectively when really it's you know highly subjective and and that's why of course they can't understand why that person thinks this and this person thinks that and so on and so forth whereas when you can see your filters and are able to dismantle them then you can also see you know and be aware of the filters that other people are operating with and not that it's my place to do anything about those but just to be aware that they're there and that you know i can maybe be patient and and compassionate understanding with these people and and in my dealings with them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so um yeah so that you know i highly recommend landmark's work it's great it's not a cult um that's all i'm gonna say about it but uh, uh there's definitely other all sorts of other work out there um i did do some i think it's called like emdr therapy at one point i'm not really sure how effective that was because i I got booked in for it before I did the landmark programs, but I actually did it after. So I feel like the programs moved a lot of stuff in the in the in, in between time that when I was doing the therapy, the the therapist even noted like, you know, you don't really seem to need this. So um, that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, and then after that, uh, more recently, so when I I separated um, my little's mom, uh, that would have been early 2019. Um, late that year, later that year, and, and most of the following year, I did a bunch of work with, uh, when I met in one of the lamentation programs I was in, and, uh, you know, the work's definitely not logical, like, from all the stuff that I've read and everything and understood, it, it's very, like, Robin, one second. The, the connection is not, or the mic is not really good anymore. Okay, I think the wind's picking up here. Yeah, now it's perfect. <laughs> How's it, how about now? Okay, yeah, there's there's like a breeze picking up, so maybe I'll I'll stick around here. Yeah, this is perfect. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. To so yeah, though, it's, no, no, that's that's all right. Um, better better that than for me to go on at length and and all you hear is the wind so <laughs> um but yeah the work we did like i said it's just i i don't want to get into trying to explain it too much because it, even now i don't really understand but i but i do understand enough to know that like there's a lot going on in our bodies that you know western science still can't explain and we know this and you know we hold like emotion and things that we haven't processed somewhere somehow you know in our bodies and different organs and it's it's not all mental stuff like a lot of people think mm -hmm. and uh and sometimes even just like kind of playing out a scene and like witnessing and seeing and hearing things can shift a lot of stuff even though it's not actually like real right like i don't have to necessarily sit down and have this heart to heart with my birth mom or dad or whoever but you could almost fake it mm -hmm. so that the body is like then able to release whatever it's been holding on to yes yes oh this is such precious work also when you think about breakups and and finding closure a lot of people like <laughs> feel like they cannot find closure if they don't talk to the person anymore or finding closure with somebody who passed or, or something like that. So it's 
Very precious work. Wow. And how is it called again? Absolutely. Uh, I'm not really sure. I think I think it's origin healing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really my introduction to it. Everything wasn't really that formal. I just saw she was posting some interesting stuff on Facebook and yeah. and started hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, very, very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Man, we're coming to an end here already. <laughs> uh, we have a couple minutes left. I would like to ask you one last question. Um, what was the, the first like question that you had for your mom that really helped you to connect with her when you met, when you reconnected with her? Um, do you remember? <laughs> I, I don't know if there was like a specific, you know, Q and A. It was just kind of a we met for dinner and had a conversation, and and inside of that, all of that, I guess, just to <laughs> and, and it's like just thinking about like how it was for her and like being that baby and being born and stuff like it still triggers emotion for me mm -hmm. um which tells me i'm still processing right and and so sometimes i'll sit in it a bit and, da -da -da, and then you know it can be uncomfortable and i'll leave it alone for a while um but it's there <laughs> and uh anyways so <clears throat> so yeah like really hearing like her story of of all of that right like how it was for her when she was pregnant and just to just to think about like the decisions, the choices she was faced with mm -hmm. and how difficult that must have been. Yeah. And like, you know, what she wanted for for me and and for herself. And and she couldn't see like that she could do it. And so she did what she felt was best for me. And it and it was. Yeah. And it was best for her and you know, my sisters and everything. Um, but because of the way like our system deals with these things, that's really where the trauma came in. Like, I think that we could do adoption in a way where, you know, these babies aren't left with this traumatic experience, but I don't know. I mean, that it take a lot more compassion than what the system offers today. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yes. Oh, this is like so touching. I wish I could give you a hug right now and say <laughs> nothing, but we're just meeting over Zoom. So I hope you can feel a virtual hug and, and I appreciate you so deeply. Your story is heard and you matter so much. Like you, your story and, and to share this the way you did is so precious. And um, to, to see and feel how much compassion you have for your mother really shows that you are living from the heart you know you don't live and walk around like a victim and and make excuses you face reality and and you face the situation with grace and you have so much compassion for her situation for for another human being out there and um yeah i have so much respect for you and thank you so much for making the time and and walking with us in the coolies um i i deeply like appreciate all of this thank you so much you're welcome aurora and thanks again for having me i 
It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the conversation I had with Robin. And yeah, if you have any questions and want to reach out to him, I have his link to his Facebook Messenger here in the show notes. I hope we brought a lot of value into your life. And yeah, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, please subscribe. And if you want to leave us a review, share your thoughts with us. Thank you so much. And I will be out there very soon again. Bye-bye.